Welcome back to another episode of How About Vote. I'm Harry Sherman. I'm Brian Jackson. And I'm Martin Sanders. And this week, we are just going to take a look at the election, which is finally upon us. Damn, we're here. Like, wow. I'm really scared, guys. Are you? Um, Slightly, you know, because of the fact that, you know, some people are declaring civil war um, election might not be counted. Um, All types of just different scenarios. It's going to be a long night on Tuesday. It's going to be a long day, too, when you think about it, right? Like every day that the, the, the articles are crazy. Like right now they're fighting in Michigan about open carry at the polls. Like why do you need to bring an open carry assault rifle? Oh, wait, I know why. Oh, what? Yeah. Or, or the decision in Texas to have one ballot box for the entire or one drop off ballot box for the entire city of Houston. It's just ridiculous. In previous episodes, we talked about voter suppression. There it is. Uh, but you did have Biden say that they have like the largest and most coordinated voter fraud effort ever, which was like a classic Biden gaffe, right? Like what he was talking about was uh, combating voter suppression, but just in sort of like jumbling the concepts, he says that and, and you have the right jumping on him like, see, see. So I just think I think November 3rd is going to be a long day. Yeah. And, and I think that Biden's campaign is doing the right thing by uh, keeping him uh, off the campaign trail or at least having him on the campaign sparingly and having, you know, Obama and Kamala Harris and others going out there and really uh, leading the get out to vote efforts because Biden is a gaffe machine. And I think there's a quote from like a while ago from Obama or someone in the Obama administration saying, uh, don't discount Joe's um, ability to mess this up. They didn't use the word mess. Tweeting at the television doesn't fix things. Making stuff up doesn't make people's lives better. Donald Trump isn't suddenly going to protect all of us. He can't even take the basic steps to protect himself. Just, just last night, he complained up in here that the pandemic made him go back to work. I'm quoting it. He was, he was upset that the pandemic made him go back to work. If he'd actually been working the whole time, it never would have gotten this bad. And with Joe and Kamala at the helm, you're not going to have to think about the crazy things they said every day. And that's worth a lot. We're not going to have a president that goes out of his way to insult anybody who doesn't doesn't support him or, or, or threaten them with jail. That's not normal presidential behavior. We, we wouldn't tolerate it in our own family, except for maybe crazy uncle somewhere, you know. So, Speaking of Obama, man, yo, can we talk about yeah, Obama yo, for a minute? Just, yo, I, I, I love, what, what was that Kian Pell's um, skit? Uh, the yeah, angry translator. Like angry, angry translator, right. right, he, right. he doesn't need a translator. He's been <laughs> bringing the heat on this guy, man. Like, really just, I, I, and I love to really see and hear Obama unleashed and talking in terms of, like, how he really feels this, this president is doing. Because he's a person that's been in the job, left the job, left him a lot of information, um, left things behind understands the way that the job works and he is just saying that this guy and it's nothing like having a former black president call the current president lazy (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah 
the all I gotta say is what I've been saying is the champ is back. Obama is a force, a rhetorical force to be reckoned with, and there there's just no one that compares to him. Uh, his speech in Philadelphia a few weeks ago was I I. I thought that was probably the best speech I've ever seen him give. And let's talk about for a minute, and I'm going to geek out here for a second, but let's talk about the skill it takes to give a speech to a parking lot full of cars, an impassionate speech that is um, poignant, that uh, resonates, and that you know is timely and funny and hard-hitting. I mean, that takes a lot of talent to do that to a parking lot full of cars and for it to like hit like it did. I just, I mean, you're, you're really, the greatest. that's a really good point. I mean, so as a, as a principal, like I do a lot of talking to groups of people and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at like public speaking. It is so much harder to do it when you don't have the room. You know, I, I think, you know, when I'm when I'm on Zoom and like I can't read body language, I can't get like that feedback. It's really hard to do it because you you kind of don't have that wave to ride. And I'll just make a connection to like Trump and his rallies. I mean, Trump is nothing like Obama in terms of skill as a speaker and so on. But the reason he needs those rallies is because Trump's whole thing is, let me just ride the energy of the room. Mm -hmm. And he's good at riding the energy of the room, even if all he's doing is just spitting out, you know, venom at his opponents. But you're right. Watching Obama do that without like a room to to kind of like carry him. That that was that was masterful. Trump is straight WWE. Where he just needs the crowd, he needs to say like vulgar things. He just needs that energy to say wild and crazy things, and That's then a great point. he That's has a great to comparison. get he has to get on the top rope and then says, "Who should we lock up? Lock <laughs> her up!" And, and and Obama is just the that once in a generational um, talent in which he can convey a message and, and say a message so clearly that it, it's able to reach so many different people. And he's able to be mean spirited in a nice way. So like that, the stuff that he was saying about Trump in Miami was really mean. Absolutely. He was like that, that meme where it's like, you know, when they went low, did you go high? And Biden's like, I called him a clown, fam. Like, <laughs> Trump, you know, Obama's like, yo, I want in on that. But listen, so Obama is not on the ballot. So my question is, like, what is this accomplishing? What's, what is this translating to votes in some way, like voter energy? Like, what is what is Obama's tour accomplishing right now? It is allowing the Biden campaign to be on the offensive, right? So, it, so he could be in Pennsylvania. Um, Obama's been in Florida. It, it's just able to spread out four corners. So, like, they're able to spread out in like four corners, right? And Trump is the whole show. So that's why he's doing three rallies a day because it's just him. He's the driving force behind his um, campaign. 
Yeah, I, I agree with what Jackson just said. I also think like just think about the conversation we're having right now. I mean, and we were going to vote anyway, but I think that for people who may need a little extra motivation um, to get out there to wait in line or to drop their ballots off or, or what have you, I think Obama provides that. Uh, this is likened to Obama in 2008. He's got a pep in a step. So what I hear is he's firing up the base. Yeah, no. People were already motivated, right? People have four years worth of motivation. But right now, what you need is the energy. You need the energy to stand online for four, five, six, seven, eight hours, right? So it, it, it gives you that energy and that excitement to get out there and to um, put in those long hours um, to really to, to put in your vote and, and to um, make sure that your voice is heard. What do you think, Sharma? I agree. I think that um, Sarah and I were just talking about this tonight. Uh, like, well, what is it accomplishing? And um, she said, like, well, this isn't changing anyone's mind. And I was like, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think hardly anyone's mind is getting changed anywhere at this point. But this is this is spurring some people. This might be changing someone's mind about whether or not they're going to go out and vote. Right. Like, yeah, I agree. Like he's He's also it, it allows the campaign to be on the offensive, but it also allows somebody to go in hard. Like usually it's not the candidate. Usually this is the VP role, but they're at a disadvantage because Kamala can't be the attack dog. Good to be in Texas. We had a great day. Started the day in Fort Worth, just left McAllen and now here in Houston to talk to the folks in the state and obviously to listen and, and to encourage people to get out on Election Day and vote. They've done a great job in terms of early voting, and so we just want to remind people what's at stake and that their votes really matter, lots of important issues, and they have the power to determine the outcome of this race. So it's good to be back in Texas. So I have, I have a theory about this that I'll just put out there, um, see what you guys think. So my theory is once Biden nominated Kamala her impact in terms of motivating the um, the left was was felt immediately. Uh, there's a huge spike in donations, a lot of motivation around women voters, voters of color. Um, so you had that you had that impact right away, right? But now, what they have to be careful of is for reasons that clearly don't have to do with her actual policies, but with her identity, she is just being demonized on the right. I, I mean, and I look at like comments and stuff and people talk about like who I'm really afraid of is Kamala, this radical, da, da, da. like Kamala is not a radical. Like Kamala Harris is a very moderate candidate who has moved left in recent years with the party. But, you know, she's painted that way as a black woman. And that narrative feeds right into a certain mindset. And so I think what they have to do now is be careful that too much Kamala visibility is energizing for the base, for Trump's base. And so they actually have to be like careful about that. And so for me, it's all about Obama can go hard and not them not have to worry about that reinforcing that narrative around Kamala. Well, it allows Obama to be the bad guy, to be the heavy. and. I think this is something that he's he's very comfortable with, um, especially being four years removed from being president. Right. Because he it was a lack of energy he had for um, Hillary Clinton. 
right? Because he was also still carrying the burden of being president. And, you know, he gets the freedom to just be him, right? Without the, the concerns of having to play nice or, or, or parse his words. And part of the other thing that, um, and, and some of the things that we was talking about too, um, before a little bit earlier, it allowed, it allows Senator Harris to go to Texas. It allows Biden to go to Georgia and play around and be offensive in states that should be safe Trump states. So I, Jackson, I think I disagree with you a little bit about the way you characterized Obama as carrying the burden of president and his lack of enthusiasm from Hillary Clinton. I think that he was still adhering to the traditional norms of of the presidency, where now I think that, yeah, he's not president anymore, but since Trump's thrown every sense of normalcy and tradition out the window, Obama is just like, why should I adhere to those traditions of not criticizing a sitting president as the former president and just unleashing on him? Like there, so I, I I think that the I think it was less about Hillary Clinton and more about uh, how Trump has uh, just debased the presidency. No, I would I, I, I would agree. agree. I would agree with that. I would agree with the fact that you know not being president, and I don't think it had anything. I don't think it had anything really to do with Hillary Clinton, but I think it had to also do with. I think you're right that the way that Trump constantly went low, talked about him for four years, um, and he and him waiting for four years to finally answer back. I think that has a a, a lot to do with it, also. So I want to go back to um, just the point. Uh, Sanders, when you were wondering, like questioning whether or not it's a sexism around um, Senator Harris. And I'm just conscious that I, I think I think it's a subconscious sexism, but I definitely am aware that I refer to Kamala Harris as Kamala. But I refer to Trump, Biden and Obama as Trump, Biden, Obama. And then when we talk about Hillary Clinton, we're more likely to say Hillary, mm-hmm. right? Good so point. I do think I do think there, and, and I mean I'm going to own this for me, but I do see I do see this as a pattern that that is not unique to me. That like it is a subconscious sexism, um, and I'm not sure what kinds of things it's rooted in in terms of a name and whether a woman owns a name, whether or not the the whole like the girls in the office kind of thing where you call people by their first name, but. You know, we're talking about a senator who is vice president on the major party ticket. She should be Harris the same way that Pence is Pence. Um, So I'm going to try to be conscious of that going forward. Are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support either ending the filibuster or packing the court? Whatever position I take in that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Court? Let Vote now. Are you going to pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question is, the question Supreme is, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have ended. He says that we're, you know, we're learning to live with it. 
People are learning to die with it. They said the stock market will boom if I'm elected. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay, let's move on to the next question. There has been nobody tougher to Russia with between the sanctions. Nobody tougher than me on Russia. This president paid 50 times the tax in China, has a secret bank account with China, does business in China, and in fact is talking about me taking money. I have not taken a single penny from any country whatsoever, ever. Who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what Who we're talking about. Who built the cages, about. Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents and those kids are alone. I have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I will transition. It is a big statement because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. The fact of the matter is there is institutional racism in America. And we have always said we've never lived up to it, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal. Well, guess what? We have never, ever lived up to it, but we've always constantly been moving the needle further and further to inclusion not exclusion. Nobody has done more for the black community than Donald Trump. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. What do you guys think is going to happen? Are we looking at a Biden-Harris administration? Are we looking at another four years of Trump-Pence? How's it going to go down? And part of this question, what's going to happen? What's going to happen on election day? I want you guys to prognosticate. How's it going to go down? What's the end result going to be? We're going to get the another Florida 2000 scenario. Like, are we sitting here on November 10th recording an episode about like, when are we going to know who's going to be the next president? What do you guys think is happening? Or, or will we be recording an episode November 10th? The troops are out in Washington, D.C.? <laughs> <laughs> right. the militia the militia is out in michigan you know the militia is in control cuomo is in the basement they're asking for a million dollars i don't know i don't so, know you you go first said this i can't i, yeah, I can't anyway, <laughs> oh man um i'm of two minds uh my first mind is if biden wins in most of the swing sta- states by um over 50%. I think that it'll be clear that he is the winner of the election. Uh, And I'm hoping that some of the Republicans, uh, like Mitch McConnell in particular, uh, will come out and say that it's clear that Biden's the winner. Um, My second thought is, if it's close, uh, I... I don't think we're going to know who who won the presidency until December, maybe January, because I don't think that Trump um, or his uh, enablers will let it go until it goes to the Supreme Court or the uh, House of Representatives. Um, I think that they're that desperate for power um, for a lot of Trump. Primarily financially, I think that the story in the New York Times about the $400 million in debt and all of the taxes and things like that just shows how much um, trouble he's in financially. And the presidency is really his uh, cash cow. And the the Washington Post put out an article about that this week, too. Um, And I think that uh, the people in his orbit are also um, dependent on him being president for for their own pockets um, and, and power 
uh, bloodthirst. So uh, that's those are my two thoughts. Okay, so this is my hope, right? I'll give you my hope and uh, what I and then what I think think is going to happen. My hope is that it's the complete blowout because that's the only way we could just you know say that this four years is just coming to an end. Um, and that's the only way that there won't be court cases and fighting and um, press conferences about like how, um, you know, the Trump has been aggrieved and cheated. So I'm hoping Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania go to Biden with and, and go to him decisively so that we just know that it's just a wrap. Um, my fear is, and what I think might happen is that Pennsylvania is going to be a problem and that um, we're going to be in litigation trying to find out who won um, well into December, January, while Trump still has the bully pulpit and the Supreme Court. And I just think that it could get really messy before it gets resolved. So you guys are both giving voice to like the deepest fears of the Democratic Party and people who've had enough of Trump um, that aren't even like that's there. There's a lot of overlap there, but that's that's a Venn diagram with with a lot of people that aren't necessarily in the Democratic Party that have also had it with Trump. I just want to bring up a couple of things, right? Um, Biden has been slightly above 50% for a long time. And Trump has been between 40 and 45% for a long time. Now, if I know I'm talking national and not state, but if all those people that are either undecided or third party go and vote for Trump, then we'll get the scenario that you guys are talking about. But if this thing falls where I think it's going to fall, which is a 52-46 kind of an outcome, um, we're going to get an outcome that's very similar to Obama-McCain, where you're, there's just going to be, I, I really believe there will be a very solid, maybe not landslide, you know, maybe not like 380 electoral votes, but, you know, like the 340, 350. It's going to be solid. The irony is I feel like the Trump administration is going to turn around on all the things that they're trying to push back against right now, like mail-in ballots and all this stuff. Like it's this weird matrix where they're going to be like leaning on, oh, the votes aren't counted yet. And But, but you can't fight a war on six fronts. And I think what we're going to see is, look, if we're down to Pennsylvania and it's 285 electoral votes for, for Biden, then, then it's going to be an issue. But if Biden's sitting at 330, right. And yeah, there, there's going to be like four States that were, that were close, but you can't go and fight on all those, those States. He may try to, but I think I, I really just don't see it ending up that way. Don't see it really playing out that way. We're there. We're at the end of this whole thing. And 
we, and I'll speak for myself right now, I, if you're listening, want to really just encourage you to vote and to make sure the people you know vote and to make sure the people you know think about what the candidates represent and what's important to them and which candidates represent their values and their platform and to believe in the power of vote, that voting allows us to have candidates that reflect our values, that will set policy that is consistent with what we believe in. And as cynical as we can get in America, there's like, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50% of people don't vote who could. This is the time. Get out there. Get someone else out there. How about vote? Well, that does it for this episode of How About Vote. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you follow us on all of our social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and make sure that you like us on wherever you're listening to the podcast. Finally, if you need any information about voting in your state, go to IWillVote.com. They have all of the information you need as far as voting deadlines, how to register, everything you need. IWillVote.com will take care of you. Thanks again for joining us and how about vote?